I consider it a great privilege today to be able to stand before you. This morning I'm going to be leaving our, our current series um, because I, I just couldn't get, I couldn't get my mind on the subject and thought it better to speak out of where my heart is than to attempt to um, suppress my feelings and stay on topic. Um, I apologize. My uncle Tom died on early on Friday morning. I literally can't remember a time when he wasn't a major part of my life. Like, we all have aunts and uncles. Uh, and some of my aunts and uncles I don't even know hardly. And some of them you get close to for a little while and then you don't talk to them for a few years and then you're back and maybe talk a little more. But um, my earliest memories uh, are a lot of them involve Tom aggravating me at Granny's house. Um, he always aggravated the kids. That's how he um, paid attention to us. That's how he showed us that he loved us. And he'd aggravate like crazy. He'd twist our, our words and he would pretend that he misunderstood what we were saying and say it back to us differently. Sound familiar? If you see me deal with kids or adults for that matter. <laughs> If he found something that aggravated us, then he'd really hone on in it, on it good. And he'd say stuff like, oh, you're going to wear a pink shirt, huh? Say, say you got your pink girly shirt on? And he'd just poke, prod. I really, I, you, I look at myself and I realize how much of who I am is from him. When I was just a little bitty boy, he got me eating sardines and Swiss cheese. You probably think that's disgusting, but as a three or four year old boy, when Uncle Tom told me we were eating minners and mouse's cheese, that's what he said. <laughs> minners and mouse's because the Swiss cheese had the holes in it. He told me the mice had got to it. And me and him sit and eat the minners and mouse's cheese, so I didn't care what it tasted like. I just thought it was really cool to eat minners and mouse's cheese with Uncle Tom. Growing up, he was that constant, playful presence in my life. Uh, but then as I aged, the relationship matured. And in my late teens, I announced my, I announced my call to preach. And few people were as supportive, were excited about that, and went with me more, got me more opportunities and appointments to preach than Uncle Tom did. Um, we went to about every little backwoods country church and within an hour of Maynardville. I don't know how he knew where all of them were, but he did, and he knew somebody there. And I remember one time the pastor of one of those little country churches said that the last thing I'll feel this side of glory is that old sting of death, and then it's heaven for me. When he finished saying that, what he was saying, I spoke up. Because in little, in little country churches, if you didn't say whatever was on your heart, if it hit your head and it was on your heart and you didn't say it, then you were quenching the Spirit and you might have a key to the service. So you had to say it. I was going to get in trouble if I didn't. 
That's still the way I thought for sure. So I didn't mean to be correcting the pastor, but Tom and I had talked about 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 so often. So I said, Pastor, I agree with everything you just said except for one little thing. The news is even better than what you just said. O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For us who are in Christ, death has no sting, because we have no sin to give an account for. Our sin is nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Man, I got to preaching. Probably hacking a little. I hacked a little at that time. I got plum excited. Tom got plum excited. whole church got plum excited. And the pastor gave me another appointment to preach. When I went back and preached, there wasn't the same rejoicing kind of service that day. And after the service, the pastor publicly called me out. He said that the sermon lacked power because I was using notes. After the service, I was discouraged. I was embarrassed. I didn't know if I'd done anything wrong. And Tom and I got in the car and he stuck out his hand toward me. He got in the car just a little before me and I sat down. He had his hand stuck out right when I sat down. I had no idea what he was doing. And he said, congratulations, Jesus told you it would happen. I said, what? What do, you, what do you mean? He said, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. He said, that preacher only said that because you out-preached him. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> he was upset you corrected him last time we were there and he was trying to get you back. He said, count it all joy, brother. That preacher don't use notes and you can tell it. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Maybe he'd preach a little better if he did. He always had my back. Not too long after that, we went to a Pentecostal church where I had gotten an appointment. I'd basically preach anywhere. If they'd let me, it didn't matter to me. I didn't care what denomination were. It didn't matter to me. I'm going to preach. Tom felt a little out of place. At the beginning of the service, they had a skit where they turned all the lights off and a bunch of kids came forward followed by somebody dressed up like Satan. I don't remember the point of the skit, but after it was all over, somebody in the church jumped up and started preaching. And he said that the devil was in the church and that it was hindering the Holy Spirit in the meeting, and we needed to run the devil out of here. And Tom looked over at me and said, well, if I hadn't brought him in here, we wouldn't have had to run him out. <laughs> he still went with me a lot of places, but he was one and done at that one. I went back a few more times. He didn't go back there. Over the years, he's come to me countless times to talk about, talk about the Bible. Even as an old man, he'd say, now you know way under more about the Bible than I do. But he always had his opinion and it didn't matter if he acknowledged he thought I knew more than him. When he had his opinion, he's going to stick to it and he's going to walk in it too. Which is commendable to walk in what you believe. He taught me into running for city council. He got me elected. Got me appointed as mayor. Yep, I'm the former mayor of Maynardville. You can call me your honor or whatever. He'd call me up most years around April or May and have, have me over to pick, de-stem, cook, and eat a batch of poke. And we'd make poke salad. Which on the internet it says is a poisonous plant. He wasn't worried about that. 
He said, I've eaten it for years, and I'm 67, 68, 69, 70, the same thing every year. I've eaten it for years, and I don't take no medicine, but just one little small dose of blood pressure medicine. If it could kill you, I'd be dead by now. That's what he'd say. Now, the key to it, just to let you know, if you want poke salad, you got to boil it seven, seven minutes at a time, then pour all the water off, and as long as there's still green in it, you ain't done yet. You want to get rid of the poison, you got to keep pouring it off until it's no, there's no green left in it. And then, mm-mm. Cook it with some bacon grease and some onions and, and good eating. I hope to be teaching somebody how to make poke salad when I'm an old salad. Poke salad when I'm an old man. In 2019, we cooked it at my house. This year, it's too late in the year and we missed out. We said we'd do it next year. Now, I think the poke salad and a drop of Clorox on his tongue. And when he gets, when he think he's getting sick, he'd dip his finger in Clorox and put it on his tongue. <laughs> he uh, always seemed healthy. Hardly ever seemed to get sick. Now, be honest with you, he, he felt kind of invincible to me. He had been a police officer. The stories he told me back in the day, a police officer used to be a job only for toughest of men. Not fat guys that wanted to go to the donut shop. He enjoyed the ruggedness of the police work until he got saved. Then he began convinced that he couldn't be in that environment and keep his conscience clear. So he gave it up. He's still tough as nails. This summer, as a 78-year-old man, he was up in the top of an eight-step ladder cutting limbs out of a tree with a chainsaw. The ladder shot out from underneath him and as he was falling to the ground, he had the presence of mind to throw the chainsaw away from him as far as he could. But in so doing, he wasn't able to protect himself from the fall very well. He came down hard, partially on top of the ladder, partially on the ground. He was beat up pretty good. He was bleeding, bruised, stubbed up, and alone. So what did he do? Well, he went over and checked to make sure the chainsaw wasn't broken. Then he tied a rope to the limbs that he'd cut out of the tree, tied them to the back of the truck, drug them where he wanted them. Then he went inside after the job was done. And then when he was telling me about it, he said, Now, Matthew, I don't like to take pills, but I was hurting pretty good, so I took me a baby aspirin and went and laid down. He was a 78-year-old man, but he wasn't your typical 78-year-old man. And that's why... When he got COVID, I really didn't think too much about it. Many of the people closest to me had already had it, and uh, they got 100% better. Um, when Jennifer told me his oxygen was running around 88 when he was resting on Friday, November 27th, I thought he should go to the hospital. But he said he had a doctor's appointment on the fall on Wednesday. He'd wait and see. And when he went on Wednesday, they said go to the hospital. Something you'll learn about us cooks is we're stubborn. I was actually more amused by how stubborn he was than I was worried, though. I thought it was funny that he was so stubborn. Because in my mind, if anything exceeded his stubbornness, it was his toughness. And I said it again and again, ah, oh, Tom will whoop this. When I found out that he could text... I didn't know the man knew how to text. That's something I learned about him later in life. Dad don't know how to text, so I didn't think Tom could either. But I found out he could text, so on Sunday I texted him. 
He said, just praying for you this morning. I had you on my mind. You doing okay? He replied, I'm doing okay. Doing better and feeling better. I love you. He didn't say that a lot. It struck me a little odd. He wasn't much. He loved you, but he didn't say that. On Monday, I said, you got to hurry and get out of there. We're supposed to go get lunch. He said, I'm trying. I said, I miss you and I'm praying for you. And he said, thank you. I just don't feel good. I replied, I know. I'm praying you get better and God heals you in a hurry. We got to get together and eat some minners and mouses cheese. I said, love you. He replied, love you too. And then on Wednesday evening, I asked, I hate to bother you if you're resting, but I wanted to check on you. Are you feeling any better at all? And he didn't respond. And then on Thursday, I got a call that they were putting him on comfort care and they were going to let Dad come and see him. I drove Dad and got there, not really realizing how bad it was. And I was surprised to find out they were going to let me go back too. We got there around 11 o'clock, I think. He passed away at 1.50 a.m. And I've, the rest of this week, last couple of days have been me uh, thinking about things I'm really happy about and thinking about the things I regret. Um, this year we'd gotten together a few times. Uh, took him out for his birthday, July the 8th, to Pete's place. We had a good time. And then he needed some topsoil and wanted to buy some topsoil for me. And I said, no, Tom, you, you ain't buying no topsoil for me. My topsoil is your topsoil. You get as much topsoil as you want. He, no, I'm paying you something. And I said, okay, you've got to take me out to Pete's. I was glad I gave it to him instead of buying it from him. You've got to take me out to Pete's, but I'm going to let you take me out, but I'm buying. He said, okay. <laughs> but then when he called me to follow up on that, I had COVID. And then... I got better and was home a week, went on vacation. And then I'm way behind at work and worked and never followed up with him about going. And he, died owing, he died owing me a dinner at Pete's. Because then when I, when I finally could take him out, he had it. I think more than that, I regret though the... Uh, when I was young, we went around a lot of churches and visited and I'd preach. And he, he brought that up when we weren't having Sunday night services. He'd bring it up. Why well, we need to do that again? Just go around and we, we both, I'd bring it up to him, he'd bring it up to me. And we never did it. I feel a lot of pain, a lot of ache, and a lot of loss. None of that fits very well with Christmas as it's marketed. That's going to be my change because why am I telling you all this? Because Christmas is presented as some magical time of the year that's different from every other time of the year. Like anything is possible, it's just so much fun shopping for the right gift, the lights and the decorations, the classic movies, and of course the music. Simply having wonderful Christmas time. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And of course it's the most wonderful time. But the last thing we want to think about are pain, difficulty, and certainly not death. But for the Cook family, most of our last few Christmases have been anything but holly jolly. They've been tough. 
I had two favorite aunts, and I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I'm just being real with you this morning, Monet and Bertie. They were awesome. They were nothing alike, but they were wonderful in their own special way, irreplaceable. Monet had held the whole family together. She was the matron of the family. She was our stabilizer, and in 2013, she just kept getting sicker and sicker with cancer. I kept going to visit her through December, and it became more and more evident that she wasn't going to make it, and on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, she was really, really sick and really struggling. She made it through, but she died two days later on the 27th in 2013. But I still had Birdie. Birdie was not a stabilizer. She was actually kind of just a party, party person. So much fun, up for anything, anytime, and hilarious. The next October, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she went really fast. In only two months, she went from diagnosis to the grave. She died on December 17, 2014. We buried her on the 21st, four days before Christmas. The Lord gave us a couple years off there, and then on December the 11th, 2017... Same date that Tom died this year, Jessica's generous, loving, card-playing, gaither-loving, gypsy mom passed away. Almost at the same time that Tom passed away. Almost, as what I was doing three years ago on the 11th, 1.50 in the morning was what I was doing three years Same thing. And what I've started noticing is that Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is exactly like the rest of the year. People lose their jobs. Houses burn down. There's car accidents. People get sick. And as I've seen firsthand over the last several Christmases, loved ones die. What's so magical about that? How am I supposed to get in the Christmas spirit in the middle of such wretched brokenness? Sometimes at our weakest points, it can feel like God is mean. I've heard people say that. Even like He's out to get us. But before we give into that thought, let's consider first that maybe, just maybe, we're missing something. Maybe we have a purpose, the purpose of Christmas all wrong. And that takes us to the Christmas story. Very familiar text. Matthew 1, 18-23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Ghost. I'm reading King James and everything I read this morning in honor of Tom. So if you're not used to that, that's what I'm reading. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear not, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived is her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. 
How did He save His people from their sins? Hebrews 2, 14-15, Therefore, since the children, us, share in flesh and blood, He also Himself partook of the same, that He became a man in order to be able to, that through death it goes on, that He might destroy him who has the power over death, and that is the devil, and that He might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their life. Did you catch that? It's not that people stop dying. It's that we are set free from the fear of death because He who has the power of death has been defeated by Christ. That this life is not the end. That in the middle of our suffering and brokenness that we don't have a this is over, we have a this is to be continued because of Christ. The reason He he became a man was so that He could die. As God, pure and simple, He could not die for sinners, but as a man He could. His aim was to die. Therefore, He had to be born human. He was born to die. Good Friday is the purpose of Christmas. Jesus came to taste death for us so that death itself could be defeated and put under His feet and we could have hope after death. Remember that death wasn't the end for Christ, that He died, but He raised again. And that the hope that we have in Christ is that when we die and they die and their faith is in Christ, their sins are atoned for and they raise again. The purpose of Christmas is Good Friday. It's a cross to bear our sins, to purchase for us life and immortality. That's what people need to hear today about the meaning of Christmas. It's not simply having a wonderful Christmas time. It's not a holly jolly Christmas. I've not had very many of those lately. And many people get bitter against God when things go wrong because they don't understand that there's something beyond here. They get wrapped up in the, oh, my holidays are all about being with my loved ones. The people that you love the most are going to be stripped away from you. If you find your hope, your joy, your solace, your purpose there, if your Christmas is dependent on them being there, your Christmas is going to lose holly jolly really quickly. Those people that you can't remember not being without, that have formed you into who you are, that have been there through every pivotal moment in your life, they are going to die. But Christmas is about Christ. It's Christ's mass that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us and has defeated our greatest problem and that because of Him, the death that we experience, and you will, and I'm going to tell you, the chances are you'll end up experiencing at least one during the Christmas season. People say, I just ruins the Christmas season. You know what it does? It makes the Christmas season way more sweet. Doesn't ruin the Christmas season. In dying, Christ, this is Piper. In dying, Christ defamed the devil. How? By covering all our sin. This means that Satan has no legitimate grounds to accuse us before God. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, Romans 8.33. And on what grounds does He justify? Through the blood of Jesus, Romans 5.9. Let me tell you now about how Uncle Tom died. 
When Dad and I arrived at the hospital, Tom said, Boys, I'm going to sleep good tonight. I'm going home to rest in the arms of Jesus. His mind was sharp. He prayed asking God, if there, he said, if there's anything between you and me, Lord, please forgive me. Then he asked me to lead in a prayer before they gave him a dose of morphine. Now when, they, when he was willing to take something more than aspirin, I knew he was hurting pretty bad. But then he still had the presence of mind and he realized Mark and Robin weren't there yet and he refused the medicine. He said, wait, Matt, don't lead in prayer yet. I'm not going to take no medicine yet. So he could be alert when he said goodbye to them. Then when they arrived, he said his goodbyes. I read Philippians 1, 20-23. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am at a strait betwixt two, having a desire to, be, to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. I read that and I remembered. I reminded him right after I read that of that old text that he and I had talked about so many times, the one that I corrected the pastor with. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-57. This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I had corrected the pastor with that text before, and on Tom's deathbed I corrected him with it there while he was dying. Because I said, Tom, there's nothing between you and God for Him to forgive you of. Tom was blessed enough to know the exact date and time when the Lord gave him a new heart. He'd say it was November 14, 1980. He always said it like that. November 14th, 1980. And I said, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, Tom. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. He dealt with our sin problem in order to deal with our death problem. I then led him in prayer. As I was saying that, Tom didn't get upset about me correcting him. He's raising his hand. <laughs> yes, that's right. They gave him the medicine to ease his pain. After a few minutes, his breathing was slowing. didn't take long. Once they removed the oxygen, gave him the morphine, his breathing slowed, and then you started getting that death rattle. And we sang it as well with my soul as best we could. And it wasn't long until he went home to be with the Lord. A lot of how I live 
is because of him. I see it in my mannerisms and what I say, how I interact with people, even little sayings and words that I say, funny ways. Scandalous. That's a Tomism right there. That means scandalous for all you that don't know, that aren't from the South. But I only hope that I not only learned a lot of how I live, but I hope I learned a lot about how to die. Steadfast and immovable. Jennifer said, Daddy, I'm sure I'm going to miss you. And then he said, I'm going to miss you too. Oh, oh no I won't. A little later, she had said, I'm going to miss you so bad. She said, ah, you'll get over it in a month or two. <laughs> if Christianity was about enjoying festivities, parties, music, decorations, and the like with your loved ones, then my Christmases would be getting worse and worse every year. <laughs> but instead, all the loss has made Christmas much sweeter. I'm reminded of what our Lord accomplished. 2 Timothy 1, 8-10 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me of His prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now the most dangerous thing in the world we can do now is to deny what we've just seen in Scripture and use the fist that God gave us to shake it at Him when things go wrong. Or to use the breath that He is putting in our lungs to curse the God who has told us that He is ordaining all these things for our good. Have this perspective. Preach this gospel to yourself. Remind yourself in the difficult providences of God's goodness and that this life's not all there is. An illustration of a rope that's a hundred foot long and at the very beginning of the rope you have this little bitty red piece of tape. can't even hardly see it because the rope's so big. It's so inconsequential. And we make all of our decisions and all of our feelings are rooted in how events affect that little red portion on the rope. Now change that rope from a hundred foot long and make it infinitely that way. We... Our lives are this little bitty red speck on an infinitely long rope. And we've got to keep that in mind. That because of Christ, we have an after this. The Christmas season is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's the time of the year that we purpose to remember the most important birth, life, and death that ever happened in any year. There's no special magic to Christmas. That's superstitious nonsense. God is equally powerful and present all year long, but at Christmas we remember the miracle that changed the destiny of the whole world. He became flesh and dwelt among us. I heard a lost person once say after a tragedy they'd lost a loved one and they said, they weren't going to celebrate Christmas that year. They were going to cancel Christmas. I said cancel the holly jolly Christmas, but celebrate the true Christian Christmas, and Christmas can be an indestructible kind of joy. It's because of this true meaning of Christmas that Christmas is not ruined by death. It's even sweeter. It's our only hope. 
2 Corinthians 4, 14, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. And one last text. You might think this is carnal. I hope you don't because I think it's just biblical. Yeah, I look very, very forward to seeing Christ and that trumps everything else. But I've heard some people say, I know that other people matter. They matter to me. And I think the Bible teaches us for them to matter. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 The Apostle Paul told us, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. Oh, we sorrow. I'm going to tell you, Christians aren't like freed from sorrow and grief. We, we have, we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. He says that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them who are asleep in Christ will God bring with Him. Why is He telling us that if they don't matter at all? He's telling us that to encourage us, isn't He? And then he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which were alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Remember, for Christians, we don't lose loved ones. We know where they are. And it's not goodbye forever. It's goodbye for a little while. There's a reunion day secured through the work of Christ. Cleave to Him, praise Him, thank Him, sing your Christmas songs in praise of Him and adoration. And don't let your sorrow and your loss and your difficulties that are certain to come crush your faith in our risen Lord. Kind of gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You so much for the hope that we have in You. God, we thank You that this life is not all that there is. Lord, that there is a resurrection and life eternal waiting. We thank You for the resurrection, not only that we will experience, but those that we care about. Those that we love as we love ourselves. That we, we don't grieve that they've just perished and that they're gone. But that they, have been, they are absent from the body and present with You. And help us to remember that, rejoice for them, and await that day when we're reunited. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.